Recently, some on our church staff went to San Antonio to run in a big race there. I think about 30,000 people participated, including a half marathon and a marathon. And Chris Hatchett and uh, some others ran the half marathon. Melanie Henderson, uh, our girls' youth minister, ran the full marathon, as did uh, our counseling minister, David Gilliland. David uh, qualified for the Boston Marathon. He ran 26.2 miles in three hours and 20 minutes. Um, I hate David Gilliland. And I think what he did is unbiblical. Because there's nothing in the Bible about running by faith. You're supposed to walk by faith. And I am a big walker. I have always enjoyed walking. Uh, I enjoy, instead of watching soap operas or uh, reality TV shows, I would much rather put in a Uh, some good praise music on my iPod and go for a walk. Uh, When I go to new cities, I love to just get out and take walks. Uh, Recently, my wife and I got to be in New York City, and and she wanted once or twice to take the subway, but I wanted to walk. Um, When I play golf, I almost always, if I have a choice, choose to walk. Some of the nicer courses now won't let you walk. They want you to pay extra money and, and uh, buy, ride a cart. I'd rather play a less nice course and walk. I love to walk. My, my dad says that I should have been a long-distance runner because I go so slow I would never get tired. And I do. I don't even walk very fast. But I do love to walk. And I think it's significant that walking is one of Scripture's favorite metaphors for cultivating a relationship with God. One of the best verses in the entire Old Testament is Micah 6 verse 8. He showed you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. This is Scripture's metaphor for our relationship with him. It's described as a walk. In fact, it's first modeled way back in chapter 5 of Genesis with an interesting character named Enoch. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. And after he had become the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived 365 years. Enoch walked with God. And then he was no more because God took him away. What a strange verse. Wouldn't you like to know more about that? The image is almost that they were taking a walk together and God just said, Enoch, you're so much closer to my house than yours. Let's just go home to my place. Enoch was an example of what God was looking for in the godly land. What does it mean to walk with God? Well, the image implies you're living your life pursuing his will. You're seeking his direction. You're desiring his company. And it also suggests a willingness to leave the crowd when reason would suggest just staying where you are. That's why it's called walking by faith. 
And that's why Abraham is our model. We're going to look at chapter 17 now tonight. But we're going to start with the first two verses. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Now, you got to know that Abram has lived with the silence of God for about 13 years now, perhaps because of the Ishmael incident that we talked about last week. He hasn't heard from God in a long time. Now God says to him, I want this from you to walk with me and be blameless. Now the word blameless in the Hebrew doesn't mean don't sin. Everyone sins. It means wholeheartedness. What he means is, Abram, you haven't been wholehearted. There was the whole Egypt thing. There was the whole Ishmael thing. I want you now to walk with me and I want you to totally invest. I want you to jump in head first into the deep water. I want a wholehearted walk. And God meant for his talk to inspire Abram's walk. And so we're going to look through this chapter tonight because most of the chapter is God speaking. First, God talks about himself. Verse 3, Abram fell face down and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I've made you a father of many nations and I will make you very faithful or fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan where you are now an alien I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you and I will be their God. Now, notice the verbs in this section where God says, as for me. He says, I will make, I will establish, I will give, I will be. In other words, this covenant is one-sided. God's going to do it because he wants to do it. And Abram's flesh drive cannot nullify or thwart God's purposes. Because God is not the author of unfinished business. So God says, this is what I am going to do. And his announced future is so certain that God speaks of it in the past tense. He says to Abram, your name will be Abraham because I, notice past tense, I have made you a father of many nations. Well, he hasn't fathered a single boy with Sarah yet. But God says, I've already done it. I've already decreed it. God doesn't predict. God decrees. And what motivated Abram to accept his new name is the fact that God revealed a new name. See, Abram means exalted father. Avraham means father of nations. Now, think about it. All his life, he's taken uh, kidding about his name. For 99 years, this man who's not fathered a son by his wife, has called himself exalted father. Now God says, I want you to start calling yourself something new. Father of nations. 
obedience. But God says, but let me tell you, before you take on your new name, learn mine. Notice he said, I am God Almighty. Now, in the Hebrew, it is El Shaddai. That's the first time this name of God has showed up. El Shaddai. I am the God who knows what he's doing and he knows how to do it. Uh, It's often translated God Almighty or sometimes it's translated the all-sufficient one. The word Shaddai actually comes from a Hebrew word for breast. And the sense of the word is I am the one completely capable of nourishing and nurturing my purpose. You don't have to go to another God. You don't have to depend on your flesh. I am El Shaddai who asked you to walk with me. And so Abram is asked to believe the incredible because the promise is made by the one for whom nothing's impossible. But faith always is proved by action. So after God says, as for me, it's what I'm going to do. He says, now, as for you, verse 9. Then God said to Abraham, as for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring. Whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So God says, as for me, I'm El Shaddai, and I am going to make you a father of nations. As for you, as a living sign of this covenant, I want you to circumcise yourself. Now, if I'm Abraham, I'm thinking, Noah got a rainbow, and this is what I get. I mean, how about a secret handshake? I mean, something. Now, understand that God did not have to explain what circumcision was. Because circumcision was practiced long before Abraham, but no culture administered it at infancy. The significance was that Abraham's descendants were to be set apart from birth to be the people of God. They were supposed to be God's unique possession to be devoted to his unique purposes. Now, we know from the history of Israel, they would often break this covenant. And what would be the primary way they would break it? They would go after other gods, usually because first they went after other women. And they would go and they would break God's law to marry these foreign women. Now, think about this. The very organ they would have to use to break the covenant would give visual testimony to God's ownership. See, this goes to the very heart of the covenant. 
God wants a people of his own. Because he said back in verse 8, I will be their God. And this runs all through the Old Testament. I am looking for a people to be my people. And I will be their God. And circumcision was meant to be Israel's pledge to be that people. I mean, from birth, eight days old, the pledge was given. This one belongs to God. We are the people of God. Now, what about Sarai? Where does she fit into all this? Verse 15. God also said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you're no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. Now, by the way, this is the first time, at least in the Bible, God mentions Sarai by name. Now, that's important. Because he's making it clear now that Ishmael is not the promised seed. And I believe for 13 years, Abraham thought he was. And for 13 years, he assumed he had made the right decision. But instead of accepting the product of the flesh drive, notice the language God says, I will give her a son. God's going to have to give her a son because she and Abram are too old to create a son in their flesh. The child is going to be a gift. And by the way, now I can't say this for sure because the scripture doesn't say it, but I'm giving you my speculation. In the Greek and in the Hebrew, the word for spirit is wind or breath. And in Hebrew, it's ruach. It even sounds like what it is. And what God does when he takes Abram and says, from now on you're Abraham, he adds that H sound, that breath sound to his name. What does he do to Sarai? From now on she's Sarah. He takes out the I and he puts in the spirit. I think by giving them their new names, God is alluding to what Paul is going to say clearly in Galatians is the whole deal that the promise is never about the flesh it's always about the spirit and I believe God gave them these new names Abraham Sarah as a audio testimony to the fact that the promise would depend on the spirit the breath of God And it's interesting that although most of his life his name was Abram, and most of her life her name was Sarai, when you get into the New Testament, they're always called Abraham and Sarah. Well, this is hard for Abram to accept. Walking by faith has never been easy. So let's continue to read. Verse 17, Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of ninety? And Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. 
Then God said, yes, but your wife, Sarah, will bear you a son. And you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and will greatly increase his number. He'll be the father of 12 rulers. And I'll make him into a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. And when he had finished speaking with Abraham, God went up from him. You see, it was hard for this old man to accept that what he had produced in his flesh wasn't acceptable. See, all these years, he thought Ishmael is the promise. Because you see, back in chapter 15, when he looked up at the stars, God says, can you count the stars? You're not going to be able to count how many descendants are going to come from you. Remember what the angel told Hagar out in the desert? Your son's going to be fruitful, and you will not be able to count all his descendants. So when Hagar comes back to Abram, and he says, what happened? And she says, the angel of the Lord told me to come back and submit to you. And that my son will have so many descendants, you won't be able to count them. Abram thought, that's right. He's the one. And now God comes along and says, he's not the one. And now Abram is almost 100 years old. There's no way in the flesh he can do again what he did with Ishmael. If only Ishmael could bear the promise, God says no. In fact, Ishmael has now become a threat in the sense that Abram has no longer been pressed to radically believe in an heir. And so God brings him to that place that God's always bringing Abram to. Abram, are you going to cling to the present or are you going to trust in a promise? Which track would he take? Well, the end of the chapter tells you. Verse 23, on that very day, Abraham took his son Ishmael. And all those born in his household or bought with his money, every male in his household, and circumcised them. As God told him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised. And his son Ishmael was 13. Abram and his son Ishmael were both circumcised on that same day. And every male in Abraham's household, including those born in his household or bought from a foreigner, was circumcised with him. Abraham chose to walk wholeheartedly with God. Now, I want the time we have left to draw out of this amazing story three important principles about what it means to walk with God. Here's number one, that walking, I believe, tracks our trust in God's character. In other words, a promise must always be seen in the light of the character of the person who makes it. That's true, isn't it? Don't you, when someone says, I promise, consider the character of the person before you decide whether it's trustworthy? Sometimes when I play golf with my buddies, I'll say things like, let's play $1,000 a hole. Well, I never take that very serious because none of us are worth that kind of money. I know they're just talking. 
you take into consideration the character of a person that makes a promise. And so, what does it mean to walk with God? Well, it means we step out of the limits of human adequacy because he's El Shaddai. He's the all-sufficient and the almighty. And so impossible is no longer a part of our vocabulary. Let me ask you, what does your walk say about God's character? What would people learn about who God is by your walk? Because it's your walk, not your talk, that communicates what you really believe about the promises of God. You've heard the name of Dwight L. Moody. Uh, Daniel Towner was the director of music at his institute. And he was with Moody in Massachusetts back in the 1800s. And they were having a revival and Moody was preaching. And there was this one young boy that kept listening and trying to decide whether or not he bought this whole gospel thing or not. And finally he stood up and gave his testimony. He says, I'm still not sure. But I have decided that I am going to trust God And I've decided I'm going to obey him. And Towner was impressed by that testimony. And told his good friend uh, J.H. Samus, the Presbyterian minister, what he had heard. And Samus took that little phrase and he wrote a song. And notice the very first words of the song. When we walk with the Lord. In the light of his word. All his glory sheds in our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still and all who will trust and obey. That's what walking does. It tracks our trust in the character of God. Second, walking tracks our desire for faith muscles. I don't know if you heard about this, but some years ago, there was this uh, entrepreneur that really wanted to do this. At the Sea of Galilee, he wanted to build a water bridge that was about two or three inches under the water, 28 feet long, so that you could go out there and you could walk, and it looked like you're walking on the water. And I thought, how appropriate for Christians. We want to look like we're walking the way of Jesus when, in fact, we don't have to risk at all. That's not what walking with God is. A wholehearted walk must embrace risk because that's the way God develops our faith muscles. Now, how did Abram walk by faith? How did God stretch his faith muscles? Two things. Number one, he had to go back to his camp and he had to stand up in front of that whole big multitude and announce, Tension! Uh... From now on, I'd like everybody to call me Father of Nations. And I'd like you to call my wife, Princess Exalted Mother of Nations. Now, we have got to remember, this guy's almost 100. I mean, when he stands in front of a full-length mirror, he, he does not look like a father of nations. You think that didn't stretch his faith muscle? <clears throat> also, um... While I got your attention, I need all the guys to come over on this side of the line for just a second. (laughs) See, the first announcement produced grins, the second produced groans. 
But every time Abraham and Sarah called each other's names, every time they disrobed and walked into each other's arms, they were reminded of the promises of God. Walking tracks our desire to develop faith muscles. And one more thing, and this is important. Walking tracks our understanding of covenant symbols. God said, I want you to be circumcised. It will be a sign of the covenant. Notice, a sign. Circumcision was an outward token of an inward pledge to be the people of God. Let me compare it to my wedding ring. I wear this ring as a sign of a covenant, that I belong to someone, that there's a mark of ownership on me. What makes my marriage is not wearing a ring. What makes a marriage is working on a relationship. And if I'm not willing to work daily on a relationship, frankly, the ring is pretty valueless. Now, circumcision was the same way. And this is what the people of the covenant forgot. They thought simply getting circumcised made you the people of God. When all it was supposed to be was a sign of the pledge of the heart. And so over and over the prophets would say, like Moses in Deuteronomy 10, 16, Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. Or Jeremiah 4 and verse 4, Circumcise yourselves to the Lord, circumcise your hearts. (laughs) Paul would say the same thing in Romans 2, addressing to the Jews in that church. He said, A man is not a Jew if he's one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a man is a Jew if he's one outwardly. Inwardly, And circumcision is circumcision of the heart. See, the purpose of the sign was to remind Israel to be a sign to the nations. In other words, I want you to be a people who will show the rest of the world what it looks like to walk with God. That's what I need. I need a people that will be my people. I want you to be a sign. And so I want you to have this sign of the covenant. They took the sign and made it the mark instead of their walk. That's easy to do. You know, God has given in his new covenant signs. One is the Lord's Supper. Jesus said in Luke 22, this is the new covenant. The other is baptism. Paul in Colossians even compares baptism to the act of circumcision. They're wonderful signs. But what we sometimes do is we take the signs and we make them the heart of the covenant instead of the Heart. 
And so I remember one time when I lived in Abilene, a woman coming to me saying, and I'd never seen this woman. She said she was a member of our church. I'd preached her 10 years, and I'd never seen this woman. She said, I want you to baptize my three daughters. They're old enough now. It's time for them to get baptized. And I talked to them about the importance of uh, that kind of commitment and community. And she made it real clear. Now, wait, preacher. On weekends, we go to the lake. We don't have time for church. But it's time for my daughters to get baptized. And she was very clear. They had to get baptized. They had to be in a church of Christ by a church of Christ preacher. You think, well, that's extreme. But how many times have I been talking to a family about a loved one who's just passed away, who in no way walked with God, have I heard these words? Now, you know, when he was 12, he was baptized. And we do the same thing with the Lord's Supper. I think I told you one time that month that I got to, to uh, preach at the church in uh, uh, Hawaii on the island of Maui. The, the phone would ring in the minister's house. And on Saturday night, the phone would ring all night long. What time are services? And it was not uncommon to be asked this question. Now, we all have the Lord's Supper before the sermon or after. Because people wanted to know, is it possible that I could come and take the Lord's Supper on the right day in the right building with the right sign out front and then get up and leave and get on with my vacation? Because it's very important, you see. What are we doing here? Those were meant to be signs. When we take the Lord's Supper every weekend, it's a time to examine our hearts and examine our walk. You see, when you read Genesis 17, the main command is not to get circumcised. The main command is to walk wholeheartedly with God. Are you tracking with me here? God wants a people to walk with Him. In fact, He'll say later in Jeremiah 31, The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. And it will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers, When I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. Because they broke my covenant. Though I was a husband to them declares the Lord. This is the covenant I'll make with the house of Israel. After that time declares the Lord. I'll put my law in their minds. And I'll write it on their hearts. I will be their God. And they will be my people. God is still wanting a people. And so, my dear friends, the message tonight is take a walk. Take a walk. Every time you see somebody get baptized, every time you take the Lord's Supper, take a moment and think about your walk. We're going to sing now. And as we sing this song, If you would like to start your walk with Christ and be baptized, what does the Bible say? It is the pledge of your conscience to be the child of God. Then come right now and make that request known while we stand up and sing.